Hi there, and welcome to a new episode of Impact Talks. Today we have Peter Leibler with us, head of global audiovisual rights at Bundesliga International. Peter, I am super excited to have you on. Tell the people what you do and where they might know you from. Um, hello, everybody. Um, yes, my name is Peter Leibler, and uh, currently, since two years, I'm head of global audiovisual rights of the Bundesliga. That means that I'm responsible for the worldwide sales of the Bundesliga media rights um, globally with exception of Germany and Austria and Switzerland. For those people who aren't into sports too much, although even I'm not that much into sports and yet I know Bundesliga, can you tell the people what the Bundesliga is and, and why it's so popular that you need offices in Singapore and everything? <laughs> okay, the Bundesliga, I would say, is one of the oldest football leagues in the world and it's a professional league which is consisting of 36 professional clubs um, they are uh, decided to operate together as a as a company and they give the bundesliga international the mandate to um, market their media rights globally and i think since 1963 when the bundesliga started the league um, is getting more and more important not only in Germany I would say in Germany it's a it's a holy cow nobody can avoid I think the awareness of the Bundesliga is 99% in Germany inside of Germany but also internationally I would say that the Bundesliga um, is getting more and more um, importance in the world and interest um, like all international sports is doing. I would say the Bundesliga is belonging to the top four leagues in the world, football leagues, and has the highest spectator average and a long tradition. And uh, yeah, I think German football with the national team also is giving importance with the 4-1 World Cups. So therefore you know it as well in, in the other countries. So what we're doing. How uh, did you get into that profession? Did you do sports? Were you an athlete? Or was it just interests of getting into um, that specific sport? Because you have a quite a vast um, experience in sports, we saw. Yeah, I think um, for sure as a little boy in Germany, when you grew up in the, in the 60s, 70s and 80s, everybody had the dream to be a, a foot, professional football player. But only a very, very small percentage is able to do it and to get it. Um, so for me also, it was always the dream to work in the Bundesliga, but I was not good enough. So I was not a professional football player. I played on the amateur level until fourth division or something, not, not, not more. And I was not good enough. Then I started studying law and I was lucky that I could um, um, work in the beginning after I have passed my two law exams in Germany for um, transports agency because my friends where I'm coming from, I'm coming from the Lake of Constance, were professional windsurfers. And uh, yes, yeah, some of them told me they, they have a friend who is doing a transport magazine, a print magazine with a lot of um, transport. So we did the first print magazines in Germany with inline skating, with beach volleyball, with windsurfing, with carving, inline skating, 
all these transports and I started after my studies to work in this magazine as an um, advertising seller and uh, did business development and after two years um, I started as well to do a little bit of um, events, sports marketing events in, in snowboarding and so on and um, after these um, events uh, I got a call from um, from uh, from a friend as well. She was responsible for the first German television, and she did there the events. And they are looking; they were looking for um, specialists in sponsorships. And I was young and did a lot of um, transports, events, and sponsorships. And uh, yeah, so I got could work for the first German television and worked. Uh, for the Tour de France and for the Olympics 2000 in Sydney with some sponsorships. And after that, I got a call from the Bundesliga club from 1860 Munich. And uh, yeah, and the dream got through because I was then finally working in the Bundesliga directly for a Bundesliga club. It was 1860 Munich. And I was then working as commercial director. And from there, 12 years later, I got a call directly from the league and could work as uh, yeah directly for the league as a chief representative for Asia and yeah so step by step I, I worked more into this business and now I'm working more than 20-25 years in this sports media business and sponsorship business. So much to explore. Um, I have a law background as well and obviously I also didn't go into law but yeah. for you it was more interesting because I saw that you you completely graduated from law and I think you're also a lawyer yes um, I'm yeah. but you started your journey going straight into biz dev and commercial commercial stuff correct so yes. how, how well I guess how did your law background help you with that how come you didn't want to pursue law as much why did you go very into the commercial space can you tell us a little bit about that yeah I think um, already during my studies in Munich, I um, did commercial business. Um, I worked for friends which were doing big um, techno raves in, in Munich at the old airport. And they asked me if I could help them. Um, I was a bouncer at this time. And as well, I, I worked for them for the big events and uh, looked for sponsorships and I integrated then as well first sports events so I did um, street ball a kind of street basketball we put in the events as well together and I looked for sponsorships and I noted that I like the sports inside these big raves and and party events at this time and I enjoyed very much it was quite successful because I learned that my the people trust me when I sold them some something, if it's a, a sponsorship or something. And I I financed with this my, my studies. And perhaps I think it was also my blood doing sales because my father is a was a car seller. So I was always related to selling and to commercial business. And after I finalized my studies, I... I noted that I rather wanted to go more in the commercial side than into the legal side. I think this was my deep wish of my heart to work as a, on the commercial side. But it was always very helpful to have the um, application and that they have ex the past the two law exams in Germany, to have it on the paper. 
And so even the sponsorship contracts was easy for me to handle. So I could help the other lawyers. They were always lawyers which did the normal legal work, but they worked very, they liked to work with me together because I had the background and we could do these negotiations together. So when I did my contracts for 1860 Munich for the naming right, for example, of the Allianz Arena in Munich, I worked on the 1860 sites and uh, Bayern Munich worked on the other side and we had lawyers together. So the lawyers said afterwards they enjoyed it very much because I had the legal background so I could give my input always and was aware of the legal knowledge and all the insights you need to have. So it helped me always, always. And it was good to have this background, but I'm happy as well not to do only the legal work and to be only in the deep in the contract. So I was always doing the commercial um, negotiation of the contract with a lawyer together. Do you feel like um, maybe young people listening uh, who want to go into a sales career or a commercial career, maybe in startups, do you feel like um, having a law background would be better than, than studying, let's say, business um, at uh, university? I would not say that it's better. I only would say that it's a, a good complementary education you have and it helped you definitely. And when I studied law in the beginning, I had no clue what I will do later. For sure, I had the idea, perhaps you want to be a lawyer, but during the studies, I noticed that this is quite boring, only the reading the files and then doing this business. And I wanted to be more with the people. And um, I think that uh, business education or law education is always helpful. You should finally do such a, you should finalize such a study. But in the end, I would say, I don't think that it's necessary to have a law background. It helps definitely, but I think also business background will help you. Doesn't matter. I want to explore what you said uh, before about sales and sponsorships, that you had a knack for it. I have kind of two questions around it, uh, maybe more technicality. But the first question is, um, do you feel like you have to be born with this sales um, skills? Or do you feel like you've had teams, of course? Do you feel like you can also teach this? Uh, what's your take on that with sales? <laughs> Wow, very good question. Um, I think if I look back, my father was first a cattle seller, then a car seller, and his father was also a cattle seller and all the ancestry were sellers, salesmen. I would say a little bit you get it in the blood and as a little child, you probably a lot of boys are following the father and looking what they are doing and they get recommendations from the father and I would always, will always remember what my father told me and said, listen, you must work with a client always in a way that he will come back. So it means you cannot make only one good deal and you have the, all advantages on your side. It must be also an advantage for your opposite party. That means it must be a win-win and only if you do it very good, he will come back and will recommend you. If you do only one good deal and only in an advantage for you, he will never come back. These were things which I learned already as a five to ten year old boy. And I had to follow my father very often in his sales talks and so on. And I got it. And in the end, I must say, 
I liked as well later to sell people something and, and to, to be in talks with them and also to deliver what, what I promised. Not only to sell and then run away, you also must deliver. And we as Germans take it very seriously to, to, to deliver as well and not to promise too much. And uh, so that you get a, a good reputation in the business and to be reliable. I think you need a little bit of genes and blood of selling in, in your in, uh, inside. Otherwise, you will not like it. I know as well, I have friends uh, which are telling me always, Peter, I don't like uh, speaking on the phone and to do something. I'm very reluctant with other people. I know a lot of people who doesn't have these attitude and therefore I think there are people which are born for sales which I like to do the interaction with people and there are other people which don't like it because they rather want to work on the computer and to develop a program on or want to do calculations or something yeah I think I'm more born to for the interaction with the people how do you deliver like your dad sets in a way so that they come back in the context of events um, because obviously events are very abstract let's say you get a big sponsor like how how do you deliver in a way that you know this will be a recurring thing instead of they want to be kind to you and just sponsor you one uh, i think first of all at that time when i was in this business i think that was um, the main service you could deliver is a lot of people and um, a kind of advertising space and i think the easiest is that you deliver the advertising space you promised and then if you have a lot of people at a certain event or at a match or i don't know at an event everybody was happy and then you did a report after that and then everybody was fine for sure you also have to care of these people when they come to the event and to handle them during the event so the personal Handling also is quite important besides the pure delivery of context, which is scalable and easy to, to do. Okay, um, I want to explore more before we move on, on especially the beginning that you said you started getting into all these events. Um, sponsorships is something that you really started digging deeper. I know that we have a lot of people um, organizing their own communities, um, startups as well, so very similar skills. But when you organize an event, how do you go about um, getting these sponsors? What do you, how do, do the mechanics of that work? Um, and, and I'd like to explore that from the beginning on how you started to obviously like what you're doing now is huge. So then how did that start and how did it evolve? <laughs> it's depending, I would say in the last years I was very happy or very lucky that my events were have a heavy demand Bundesliga match or football matches is is demanded so there were always a lot of people so it's easier to handle this but I remember the times in the beginning when I worked for an agency a small agency and we did a an event a so-called um, inline beton that means that we went down with inlight skates a bobsleigh um, trace so it was uh, and it was very <laughs> i would say it was very uh, was dangerous you need protectors on all sides because you got a good speed and it was crazy in a certain way and it was a uh, transport and and 
so first you need this crazy idea which would attract people and if this idea is good you must bring it to paper and then for sure you have to convince people of it and you cannot go with this idea not to i would say Ernest and Young or these sponsors you must find the right partner for this I would say and for sure at this time we did it with Red Bull or with Swatch the the watches in Switzerland which did such crazy events and I would say that you have to select you do a, you must do a pre-selection what kind of event you have which idea you have if is it is it crazy enough and then you look for the partners which could have the, the right target group and the right attitude as well like you have and then I think it's quite easy if both things are matching I think then you could convince the people or oh, another idea a crazy idea <laughs> when we did these party events at the old airport in Munich with 20,000 people a friend of mine we had the idea let's do um, a kind of smell discotheque that means if you come to a big event, a music event, you only have the music, the noise, but you need the other feeling of it. It's therefore, we said the idea the people should smell it, how we can do it. And then my friend was a, a technique freak. He said, yeah, I will build up in the, in the, in the rooftop. I will build up a, um, a machine which will spread the, the smell of different frequencies so that if you hear sailing, I want to, from Rod Stewart, we want to have um, sea smell with salt and with something and then and this was the idea which was the idea was born and we put it to paper and it was quite crazy and i thought okay let's look which sponsor could could fit to it and <laughs> you will not believe paco rabanne yeah. <laughs> paco rabanne from the perfumes sent us one liter um essence essence of his newest fragrance of his newest perf perfume and he said okay this was was quite expensive such an essence one liter and he said i, I want I, I i like this idea it's crazy but uh, i want to see how it will work and we put it into and in the end it was a big failure because it f was far too much because um the people were running out of the hall because it was so <laughs> intensive but these were things we had we did at this time and it was a crazy idea you start and then you find to try you try to find a a partner who would fit to this idea you convince him and then in the end okay you can struggle but sometimes you are lucky and it's working and it's running for for, for longer how so did this, you how did you reach Paco Roban because Paco Roban is not a you know small company <laughs> uh, when you start and you are young you take the tell at this time there was no internet so we t I took the telephone book and looked for the marketing a department in Germany and I was calling and calling and calling and in the end, in the, in the end I was in Paris and got the right person and I think I even talked once with Paco Rabanne and said yeah please try it I'm, I'm, I want to see how the reaction will be how old were you at this point 25 so at 25 years old you pick up a phone book uh, and start calling outside Germany which I can assume is only very expensive and then you actually reach Paco Rabanne and you talk with him? Yeah, I, I think we started, I did all the business always like this. You, you took the telephone book and you started talking with uh, Bayersdorf, which is doing um, uh, creams of Liptonite, also is coming from the same big company. Or I did it with a big um, 
German industry group, ThyssenKrupp, who are doing normally elevators and steel, but at this time they had also the, the fashion brand Max Matthaus and Vans. You remember these were shoes for the for the um, um, inline skating and uh, for skating. Yeah, and and, and I, I called them, I called them and, and asked them, listen, and for sure we, we had a, a good track record with our parties because they were big parties with 20,000 people. So we could show them, we have 20,000 people, we'd make some videos and they showed them and said, listen, this is exactly the target group you need. And I called them and said, listen, this is a perfect event. If you want to have banners in the background or something, we can do it. And yeah, so I think you should not be shy. You must call the people, present your idea, and then you must be persistent. It will, it's not working always in four weeks. Sometimes you need, I don't know, you need two years to convince some people. In my job here at the Bundesliga for the media rights, the first deal I did in um, Singapore, I needed two years to come in on, on air again with these people. What? like a two-part question there but what do you think makes something in demand like if let's say you you're 25 again you try to start something um what makes something like really interesting let's say you know maybe a very practical question because i'm here but like startup funding events you know our focus is on startups uh, but many events focus on startups so you know we try uh, to keep our events free, of course, and give back as much as possible, get uh, corporates involved to give back. But but how how would you make it like in demand, like the Bundesliga, if you were 25, looking back to get uh, corporates like Paco Rabanne? At this time, when I was 25, I was deep into all businesses. I was working in nightlife, so I had good knowledge about music. I was deep into sports, into transports, so that I was even asked to be a trend scout for some agencies. And I had a little camera and was picturing these things and was doing some reports for um, um, Levi's jeans as well and for other things. And they asked me, what are the newest trends for music? What are the newest trends for this? And at this time, for example, I predicted that German rap will coming soon. And it was exactly the time where Fanta Fear were coming and so on. So these are some pre some predictions I did. I would say you need to be close close to the trends and you need to be close to the people, to the to the folks, to know what is needed, what they like. And then I think you will find somebody who will listen to you. If you are young, you guys have a lot of good ideas and you are creative and you are passionful and there are people like me which are 20 25 years older sitting on marketing budgets and they listen to these young guys because they remember their times when they was young and they think oh this idea i like i think that's good or they are sitting on equity companies and fundings and saying oh this idea is good can you tell me what the idea behind and what is i think Passion, craziness, this is needed to, to, to find demand for this and to be close to the people so that you really know that what you want is needed or demanded. So if you only develop something in your own little box, tough, I would say that's tough. I think nowadays you must be close to the internet, close to the, to the social medias to, 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 to accept these waves which are needed. At my time, it was more to be outside 
in the discotheques or in the events and 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 the sports events and the stadiums to know what the people want to have what they want to listen do you really feel um it's changed that much that obviously you know the times right now are different but before every all the craziness like let's say last year or two years ago do you think that you know networking or going to these events um that that is really replaced by the internet i don't hope so and i don't think so i would still say that the personal experiencing is much much more important than all the things you can do in social media because i experienced both i did the norm the way before the internet came and i do it now with the internet and the social media and nothing nothing can replace in the internet a personal experience a personal stadium visit a personal visit in the discotheque or personal i don't know travel or something everything if you have it right in front of you and have the experience with other people together to watch even to watch together something is much more interesting and gives you much more vibes and and connection to the people than do it only via the screen for sure it's a it's a nice add-on and, and it's very helpful and we need it for certain um circumstances we need it definitely for the future and it's it's good but it sh should be complementary it could not one could not replace the other one it should exist both together i think that's a very good answer very diplomatic <laughs> um i the last question that i had on this um side still um because it was really interesting as you were exploring that you were becoming quite well at sponsorships for events um what i'm hearing a lot is uh sponsorships are given in kind uh, a lot of events obviously can't exist unless they have financial contributors yes how how did you guys do it when you were young um did you only get the big sponsors in kind or were you also striking some deals that it was financially uh feasible for you to help have them over as a sponsor i think at this time when you do a startup we lift more from the from the direct sales that means from the entrance fees we got from the people and the sponsorship was a nice add-on or the advertising and then we started with small events with 100 people then you got a good uh, entrance fee from the 100 and if you do it good the next event you have 150 200 in the end you can do it twice a week and so on and then you can get sponsors on it so i would say first you must do the b2c and after that then you do the the, the advertising so that was always a normal step you build it up do you think that um, that's a great way for young event managers um, that are getting into the business and still have no idea, want to start their own community or event? Do you think that that's, that's how they should be doing it? First start with uh, building up their consumer visitors, and then if they have enough visitors and consumers uh, buying tickets, then start approaching companies. Unless you have the brilliant idea or the brilliant app which is immediately convincing then you can do it differently but i would say this is a normal business track you have to follow and nobody can get out of it for sure if you're bill gates or the other ones which are such genius which have such a brilliant idea where you can go straight away to the equity companies and say listen this is it i want to have the funding then you can do it straight away but i would say 
to get the feeling for your idea and to get, as I said, the trend to know that this is the right trend. I think you need the B2C contact first. You need first to see the reaction of 100 to 1000 people that they are convinced of your product and then it's building from itself. And then you should go to the other one, should go to the next level. I would say this in my eyes, I'm also perhaps Germans are always carefully and, and, and do it in a step-by-step -step way. We are not, um, yeah, too risky. Were there times where you took risks and they really did pay off? Um, yeah, there was once I remember very well when I was thinking I could do as well um, creative work. Creative work means that I could do for um, um, advertising agency, the texting and the design and so on and got a big, big order from a company and they gave me time and after two weeks I noted wow I'm alone I cannot do this I can do perhaps a texting or I can tell them which is the right surrounding where she should place the product and and to give them a trend but then I noted as well more I can't do I'm not a texter I'm not uh, cannot do the layout and so on I need help and then I was yeah it was once of the rare times in my life where I was really blamed and called the client and said listen Honestly, I must drop the I must drop the order. I cannot do it. I'm not able to do it. You should look for somebody different. For sure, you do mistakes and you learn out of it because that learned me should, that I should not do more than I can or not more that I I'm able to do. How come you accepted it in the first place? Oh, it was very tough. It was very tough. It was it was not easy to accept that that yeah because i was still young i was perhaps 25 as well 25 to 20 to 30 so it was you want to climb the mount everest and you want to do everything but then to accept that uh, i think it helps you to focus on your strength and not to do everything because you will recognize that you have strengths and you have weaknesses and then if you everything in life you need your strength and and your niche where you can develop and then i think it was necessary to select it and to do this process it sounds like you had a very entrepreneurial 20s am i right <laughs> yes yes it was but in the end i decided not to go so much for the entrepreneurial side in the end of the studies i think i um my friends which were working with me together in this um, party business and and this kind of things were staying in this nightlife business and are still have some clubs and other things and and still related to this and other ones are still in the agency or in the events business which i dropped then after a while because my um intention was then after this event business to go to the sponsorship or to the yeah I did I did two steps first I was in the event business and I noted that the event business is nice but if you are on the corporate side or on the sponsorship side it's better it's more fluent and you come a level higher and I did then this business for the football club which was already the, for Bundesliga club which was already one of the highest level you can reach in sponsorships in Germany and after this, I noted, okay, 
the sponsorship you did know and I think what could be the climax where the money is coming from and the money was coming from in sports from the medias from the media rights and then I decided to de level, develop me further and wanted to do the next step and entered into the sports licensing and the sports right media business which is really from the media or from the volume revenue volume much 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 bigger than the sponsorship uh, thing so I developed me from the events to the sponsorship and then marketing and then to the media rights. So it sounds to me almost like you had a very global approach in your 20s, like events, you tried a lot of them. You started honing down, uh, looking at the trends. Some events failed, some didn't. Uh, but you honing down on the trends, eventually you started honing down on uh, where the money was, which was in sponsorships. And as you got into sponsorships, you found that the real money is not even in sponsorships, it's in media rights. But it's not that you do it one year and then you go the next year. So it was a permanent process for the first step. I need, I would say, five to six years for the next step with the sponsorship. I also worked six years in the Bundesliga, in the Bundesliga club with sponsorships. And then I went finally into the media business. And I must admit as well that it was not from beginning a global approach. I think this was totally focused on Germany because at this time in the 80s and 90s, there was not so much a, a global approach. It was only focused on Germany. And the sponsorship also was related on Germany. And only then in the media business, then I decided to go into the global media business. Okay, I can tell the story. Um, at the time when I was working as a commercial director for 1860 Munich. We were in 2002, one of the only clubs who hired a Chinese football player. And Xiao Jai was his name. And he was like the Beckham from China and he was very, he's still a very popular and famous person in China, working for the FA now. And we hired him for our club and he was one of our players and I helped him to find uh, an apartment, bank account and so on. So I was his cl very closest contact for him. I was commercial director. And in opposite, he opened us, the club, some doors in China. So I was the first club who sold a Chinese advertising board in 2002 in a European stadium. So I had in the Munich Olympic Stadium an ec an, uh, a corner advertising board from a Chinese furniture company from Beijing where he introduced me. It was a Chinese board and our matches at this time were broadcasted, the Bundesliga were broadcasted from the CCTV from the Chinese central um, governmental television. So we don't know, we have not measured it, but we guess that some hundred million have watched Xiao Chai playing his first Bundesliga game for 1860 Munich. And so at this time I got four Chinese sponsorship contracts with him and I got, yeah, I smelled blood. I, I found it very interesting to do international business. And, and I, I got the feeling how what, what it means if you have such a superstar in your team and what the media demand will be and what the sponsorship demand could be. In the end, the club went down in the second division, but I got my first foot into the international business with Xiao Jai in China. So... You mentioned it takes like five to six years in each phase. Yeah. Why does it take so long? And what were the biggest learning lessons? You mentioned like this one story that seems like a big learning lesson. What were some of the biggest learning lessons in each phase 
that allowed you to progress to the next phase? When you start with 25 and you do it, as I described already before, um, I think the biggest learning was to be not shy, to have the creative idea and then to contact these big companies. And if you have a good idea, you are convincing. And that's easy. And then you are looking for more. You're looking for bigger money, for bigger events and so on. And then after five, six years, I think you you, you noted that with these transports I did, I noted that this is limited, that it's only small money and only small event, smaller events. It was just the start of this time. And I think it was good. So Red Bull was just starting to do these all Red Bull events and so on. And listen, my boss was one of the single guys who could give did did the shits from Red Bull the owner a call at this time it was in the beginning of the 90s he called him personally and told him listen I need this advertising board for my magazine and the boss said yeah yeah how much is it 5,000 okay but first I must sell 10,000 cans more so it was really the start of these transports which is big now but at this time it was just starting and I got Audi as a sponsor and it was cool this we did and then you noted this is limited it's only small what is the next level and then I noted that football for sure sponsorships Bundesliga could be one of the biggest you could do and then I started there and for sure if you then are in this business and you're in the beginning of the 30s you have to fight for this because there are a lot of there's a lot of competition there are a lot of people who are envy and who want to have your job and it's politics inside the club so you have to yeah you have to compete and you have to stand firm and you must survive in this business in the first years and then this needs some time and then you learn for sure you're a better network at this time i got all the contacts from bayern munich so i'm, I'm still close to these guys and i got the contacts from the other football clubs in the business which for example now some are board members of my current company so you 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 know the people you learn with them and then it's okay and then after six years you think okay at this time the club was promoted relegated already down to the second division you noted okay second division is not what you want to do anymore what could be the next you could do and then i said for me media business would be the right business you can do and i was lucky that at this time an agency was just uh, founded with a Bundesliga rights acquiring worldwide so I could start selling the Bundesliga rights internationally. And this business was at this time at the beginning, also really at the beginning. The value of the Bundesliga rights at this time were 15 to 20 million worldwide. Now, 15 years later, we are standing at 200, we had last year 270 million. So you can imagine which increase and which super development i could accompany in this time so i was lucky always to be in, in to, to start at the wave i did it in the transports and i did it in the medias as well then so when you finally started going international you moved to singapore at one point right yes correct that was um i got a call after two years in the agency in munich where i did this traveling very much for asia with the bundesliga rights I met a very charismatic guy, which is a top guy for your podcast as well, Andrea Radrizzani. He's an entrepreneur who is owning um, the ASA Holding and Leeds United, one of the Premier League clubs and a lot of other business. And I met him 
because he helped me building up relationships in Asia. He did it for Serie A, I did it for the Bundesliga. And then he said, listen, I want to open an agency, MPN Silver, with a, with a partner. And I need somebody who could do the MD position in Singapore. Do you want to do this? Because I trust you. And I said, yeah, I must speak with my wife. And I talked with my wife. We had no kids at this time. I was in end of 30s, beginning of 40s, quite late to go overseas. You, you had or did not have uh, kids? No, no, no kids at, at this time. No kids at this time. I was just married one or two years. And then uh, I said to my wife, listen, let's go to Milan. Let's meet Andrea and Ricardo Silva. And we met them and they could convince my wife as well. And then we decided, yes. Let's go to Singapore. Wait, wait, how? How did they convince your wife? Because I'm assuming she had a job. She'd had to give up this job then. Um, she was working at this time in her family business. She had a textile agency with her brother. So she could um, leave because um, it's her business. So she Okay. So we are back now two years, so she's back in her own agency business again. She has still the shares and is working now still in the business. So that was good that she could give it up easily. And I'm happy that I have such a good wife that she was curious enough as well and said, yeah, why not? Let's go to Singapore and let's start a, a new adventure. Well, what, what did they say exactly to cook? Because I can assume that if initially your wife was probably like, why should I move you know, to the other side uh, of the world? What, what, was it hard to convince? What, what did they uh, say to convince both of you? I think my wife and me, we, had such a good, we have such a good relationship that um, it was not necessary that they convinced her. I think it was a, a good offer. They made me a good financial offer okay. so that um, my wife um, could live very well there. And I think perhaps we already had in, in mind that we want to have kids and want perhaps that you can give birth at, in Singapore, which is quite easy and reluctant and, and, and easy and convenient to do it. Perhaps we had this in mind, not not intentionally, but I think that was was the way. And, and I think the second time um, when I went the second time to Singapore, my boss from the Bundesliga at this time was really convincing with my wife because at the second time my wife said, no, I don't want to go again to Singapore. Um, so, so tell us about your time in Singapore. So you move and, you know, what happens there? Um, it was a startup time. The MPN Silver at this time was the first office we did there. We had 10 people and it was really a startup. It was a big mess with everything, with um, building up the office. Okay, they found already the office, but the office was a, a big villa at the sea. So normally not a really office space. It was more uh, with a big pool and, and everything. It was more for partying and not for, for working. But um, yeah, so I think I was hired to do the transition from this startup to the proper company in the end and and we did it we expanded and it was a very very tough time but also very interesting and funny time unfortunately we went especially it was in 2008 we came into the um, financial um, downturn and crisis so i started with big expansion plans and so on and, and in the end i had to close down and and 
um, I had not closed down the business, but I have to minimize it and just make it smaller and to, and to cut down a lot of plants and so on. So I was uh, I, I, I did the consolidate I did the startup and the consolidation phase in one fa- in, in one <laughs> in one time, and uh, this was really exhausting and was tough as well to to work with Andrea because he's Italian he's very creative has one thousand idea per day and I was a sweeper and was trying to find out which is a good one and so on but he's a genius with figures and with ideas so it was a very good time very much fun and and great time and but it was so exhausting that after two years we got the first son my wife said oh listen let's i also want to go back to europe i was a little bit homesick as well and um, was the first time that i worked abroad and then Andrea was very kind and said, yeah, okay, you did it well. Perhaps you can open for me an office for the German, Austria, Switzerland region in Munich. And then you can still work for me. And I said, yes, let's do. And I did it. And also um, at this time was very successful. I acquired a lot of rights for MPN Silver. And I came back. And after one year, I came back. My former boss from the Bundesliga came and said, Peter, um, we will open our office in Singapore. And we are looking for somebody. And I said, I, you know exactly that I would be the person because I work for a Bundesliga Cup. I'm German. I know everything about the Bundesliga. I know the Asian market. I already was MD for a company in Singapore. You know exactly that I'm the right person. But I don't know what I should tell my wife to go, bo- go back after two years again to Singapore. And that was the problem. And she was really saying, no, no, you're crazy. We just returned. I know you want to go back. And then... In the end, um, my former boss invited me and my wife for a dinner. And then he was really convinced because he said, listen, Steffi, this is the job for your man. This job de- I read the job description and he read the job description. And after the job description, my wife said, okay, I understand. But she also negotiated then with him and did some good she she sounds very entrepreneurial. Yeah, she is entrepreneurial, yeah. And she did it very well. So that the package we got then was very convincing. And in the first half years, I was alone. But then she came with our son as well to Singapore. And we had a very nice time. Got, got then twins additionally to our son there. And we were happy to be in Singapore because growing up or twins, you need help. And in Singapore, with the helpers, you can get there and... It was a great, great experience. It was fantastic as well. So was a, I only can recommend to everybody, to everybody, do overseas experience, work somebody abroad. This is so good for your knowledge, for your horizon, for everything, for, I don't know, for everything. And even for my kids, which now grew up for the first years in Singapore, they are all like typical German, not like me. They, my wife is blonde and blue eyes. So my kids are looking like German kids are looking. Very blonde, blue eyes, pale Germans or Swedish. Okay, look. And they were the only, they were looking, yeah. And I put them in a local kindergarten and a local schools everywhere. And they were always, uh, yeah, the outsiders because they look different. But... When I asked them, what, you, what is your best friend? And, and I know that the, one of the best friends was an Indian or um, um, Chinese. And I asked them, what's special with him? He said, nothing. So I, they are not caring about races. They are not caring about everything. So they got such a good education there overseas that they are to, to know that 
they are we're living abroad and you you are a guest you're you're expert you must adapt to the country and to the culture and so on they learned a little bit chinese great i only can tell to everybody if you have a chance to go work overseas do it for some years it's very very good sounds uh, really good there are a couple of things that you went over super quick which are actually really really interesting things um, the first one being you got to Singapore and at one point you mentioned your job was to turn the startup into a company. Um, this is super relevant to us, but you went over it really quickly. So can you tell us what were you doing exactly to go from startup to company, which obviously in our terms uh, in the tech industry is going from startup to scale up. So, so how did that process go? You arrived on the first day. You know, what was going through your mind? How were you handling it? Um, can you can you elaborate on that? I would say that the, the biggest part I have to do there uh, was to manage the expectation in the right way and to find and to consolidate it. Because as a startup, you have such a big fantasy and you want to do this, you want to do this, you want to hire this person, this person, you want to spend this, this, this. And in the end, I think my job was more to look that we hold everything together, that we not spend too much money on these expansion plans and did it step by step. I think this was my biggest contribution to this process, to, to cut perhaps more the fantasies and to do it step by step and to do and to renounce pep on the big, big office space and to say listen let us do first this and then if we have reached these targets then we can do this and and so on and and to acquire more rights and then sell them and if it's if we have sold then then we can do the next step i think that was the most important important thing from being the crazy startup to the consolidated company but so you brought in then almost like milestones and structure in that way. Well, I would say the people, Andrea was already quite advanced because their, their plans were developed already for other offices and they did internally already good things to hire a, a COO and a CFO for the different companies. So I would say this was already well accompanied by the owners. So I think it was not only my contribution, my efforts, were a lot of people and also the team we had you you must look that you have a good people who trust you and want to follow you the, the way and are convinced as well of this way and did a passionate job what what would your advice be if you would see a startup that has potential to grow and uh, they're still struggling having the villa with the pool type of scenario um, they're struggling to really like break through what what would be some tips from from your career experience for them to structure themselves? What would be some maybe you have some stories to share as well about that? HR is is a very important topic because this is that you um, if you have the right people, then I think um, you have you made bigger you made bigger uh, bigger proceedings bigger um, step forwards in my eyes um, you rather should give your t give you time to find the right people and to, to check if the people are really 
in the same way crazy and passionate and want to go the same way and have patience as well to go this way. I think the selection of the right people is this very, very important. And I think you need a, a feeling for this. It was not my feeling, but Andrea at this time had a, a great feeling to find the right people to put them together, to put one there and one there. So I think the mixture of the people and to, to do a rate, a, a big HR job, I think is, is it's the most important. If you have self-responsible people you can trust, which you don't need to chase, I think that's that's the thing. And you also must give trust. You must release and let them run and give them full transparency and release them and say, listen, we must do this, go for it and, and try your best and, and not control them and ask them, you have the target, I'll give you the freedom, I don't care how you, how you reach it, go for it. Can, can you give an example from your career where you did that and, and how you knew you were trusting people or good examples of these people that you, you can trust? <laughs> I think a lot of my interns I had or people which are working for me are now in really really good jobs now so one is working for the Champions League one is working for Bayern Munich one is working for AC Milan they were all starting for me as an intern and I think I gave them trust gave them confidence and let them smell the blood in our business and let them I, I think I was positive about the business and gave them confidence to stay on the path and, and told them listen this is a dream job we are doing here and if you stay and if you work hard and diligent and you have good um, abilities you can go the way through so i would say there i'm very happy and now as well i'm as i told you that i will leave the bundesliga next year in march and now my my team i had here in the last two years they are now promoted in the, in the next level and this is also i think a uh, in my eyes, I'm very happy about it. And this is, uh, yeah, I should say, it's a, an award to my, to my work as well, that they were not promoted and that my job will not be replaced by a person. They, they will be promoted on both sides so that they can um, share my duties, what I have. And for sure, they have not the seniority and the network, but I did my best to help them and they will still help them. These are some examples how this can work. Another thing I wanted to cover, um, obviously the structure is very important to go from startup to, to scale up. Um, at one point you said, uh, you know, the crisis hit and, and how you handled it and everything. Um, obviously another crisis is happening right now as well. So how did you handle the 2008 crisis? How did you, you know, can you cover a little bit of that, maybe more detail, so that people can also learn for, for the times now? Yeah. I'm now working so long in, in, um, in business um, that you always have um, good times and bad times. Okay, so... So then how would you structure those, uh, those bad times? And what do you have to do during the good times to prep yourself for uh, the bad times? I think you should always be prepared that bad times are coming. It's not given that it's always going up, 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 up. So therefore you should uh, be prepared and um, 
not always expect that everything will run to the end to the very best so you should be careful careful and as older you are as more you learn this and as more you're prepared on this in the beginning you are young passionate and you go that's that's fine but you you learn with your defeats and with your um, failures and that's good and you learn from each failure from the financial crisis I was deeply depressed and said, oh my God, I must, I'm now the MD of this company and we have now a loss of 2 million. But luckily we had an owner who is very rich and who put the 2 million out of the pocket. And one year later, um, we acquired new rights and could sell them for double the price and the 2 millions were already with one deal already in. So you should not lose the trust in the future. It, the business will come back. It's always up and downs, up and downs and up and downs. And after each positive wave they will coming down and after up is after down it's coming and up so i think you should work hard and you should believe and you should have the faith that it will go on i think that's the simple the simple most simple recommendation i can give because it's nothing special it's like life it will you always you will not always win you also will lose and you learn and these failures are good because you get modest you get modest again and you you structure again your business or you restructure your 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 system and and perhaps you you are not going too far and that's good that you start step by step again with small deals again and not going for the big ones and step by step you start again so i think don't don't losing the faith go again so that's really good advice um Let's go into the more practical part of it. As the crisis comes around, what are some of the things that were happening in the company, uh, maybe that you were involved in or not involved in, the, the restructuring, the consolidation, all these things. Like, What was exactly happening so that you guys could winter the storm? Yeah, for sure, these crisis always are bringing budget cuts definitely so you have to leave these budget cuts and in in a certain way um the biggest budget here for now were the traveling budget and it's easy to save this but uh, travel budget now because you cannot travel in the moment anymore you know so these this travel budget you already can save for this so this was in our current in the current company I am. This was an easy cut, but there were deeper cuts you have to do, and you have to look where you can save money. I think this is such a big company that you have not to do. I'm currently I'm not the only one who has to do this um, thought, thinking about budget cuts and other things you can do. Um, or you, the second step is to be creative and to think about new approaches was for this business for example in our business we never were thinking to find equity for this bit to do the sell shares or something this thinking is now on the way that this could be also opportunity to do so you're looking for help from outside in this situation and um, if you have a good product you will find equity because there's enough money on the financial uh, markets so that's that's not a problem and for sure with this um, crisis we currently have and these consequences like uh, no traveling anymore, more home office, you save 
office space, you save travel budgets, which you can then use for the cuts you have in, in the revenues. But you must find for, for the you must go for the future and look for new opportunities and go your way. Because it will come back after this crisis. So people will go back to I think in a certain way some things will stay. The travel budgets will not go up as far as they have been and a lot of people will do more home office and more virtual meetings which is good which is anyway good for the surrounding you have not to travel for one day to Tokyo and then to travel back this makes no sense anymore True. I think you will really think about it what you do and you will combine it with a one week trip in whole Asia then it makes sense for example will meet I think it will be much more efficient but as already said in the beginning, these personal meetings and these personal experiences will not replace the virtual things. But there will be some say things in travel, in office space and so on and in, in other um, uh, resources, which is good. And on the other way, perhaps you will find new creative ideas how you can um, develop your business. These virtual ideas perhaps are good for more technical development, that you have new ideas in the technical development which could help uh, to drive the virtualization and to, to revenue streams out of this di digitalization. Yeah, I like that. Um, another question that I had uh, was kind of the next phase. So at one point you're coming back from Singapore, back to Germany, um, and you got that offer to expand into a new country. So obviously the mechanics of you know opening a new office in the country are completely different to you know, what you were doing before. Can you elaborate more on, on that, that the, the start and the expansion of, of that office in Germany? Yeah, I think it was much easier because you are coming back to the home ground because I was coming from overseas back to Germany, to my home country and to open up office in the home country, which is easy. You speak the language, you know the law, you know the people. So for the administrational work, you have to care much more on the overseas side in Singapore, where you need a lawyer to help you and some um, consultants. If you come back, you all don't need this. This was a, a self-running business, was easy to do it. So you could totally focus at this time. I could totally focus on my business and the opening office was was not mentioning at all. I think I was anyway alone with some other guy. It was very easy. It was always small, small office, but we were really, really successful and we were more contributing to the other offices. It was, that was easy. So, so then you come back and so you're just leveraging your network. Um, yeah. yeah. And yeah. how do you leverage your network to a completely, because you've changed job. You're not in the Bundesliga anymore. You're doing something different. So then how do you convince those people to go for this new thing? Um, this media rights business is a small business. So I think um, they are not, I would say, worldwide, perhaps 2000 people, which are always meeting at the Sportel in Monaco, which is the biggest sports rights media fair, always taking place in October. And there are around 2,000 people in this business from all sports. So it's not only football, it's also tennis, it's Formula One, it's Formula E, but also archery, winter sports, ice skating, skiing. And at these events, you know, you, you meet these people and you know them. So it's a kind of small family and you know them, you know the agencies. So this network I had already, so it was not a big 
big topic. And then for sure, you all, when you work in this business, you also know these medias who are buying these rights. So they are also part of these 2000 people in Germany are perhaps five, six, seven channels, which are relevant. You know, these guys in Singapore, there are three, four channels in Malaysia, two, four channels. So it's counting up and you know them all. And for sure, there are the Amazons, the Googles and, and Facebooks, which are new, but you will, they are also one or two persons only which are relevant. And the network is, is not too big. I think you, you, I'm now 53, so I, I think I know a lot of people in sports and in the sports media business. So it's it's not that this was a big game changer when you... I was responsible for the Bundesliga, or for, then I was responsible for Serie A and, and for MP Silva, which did all sports, and I came back to do open the office only for Germany, Austria, Switzerland. Then you are focusing a little bit more on the medias in Germany and on the sports rights holders in Germany. And then I went back to Singapore again for the Bundesliga and did the whole business for the Bundesliga in Asia again and and with the same partners which I had already before and now I'm back in Germany and doing again so I'm <laughs> I'm doing the same business with the same pe or the similar business with the same people so it's pretty much the same family the same people in the same spot in October in Monaco you're just living in different places and focusing on different yes, niches a little bit like like this yes yes okay what it's are you now, it's yeah. now a little bit expanded because now more and more equity companies are coming into it and open it and yeah so that's a little bit changing now what, what do you mean equity companies with this yeah so i would say the financial companies equity companies are interested cvc advent uh, like they are now interesting as well to invest in sports before if you consider that sports is only a very very tiny business part of the whole global econo economy um, and these equity companies were investing millions in car companies in social media companies in other things but in sports the interest was not so big because the sports media or the sports industry was too small with exception of the US and now more and more these equity companies are also want to seeing that sports is getting a bigger and bigger business and trying to invest in sports as well itself Okay, I like that clear. How uh, you did mention this, but how has the rise of the new social media giants like Amazon, Netflix, Facebook, uh, YouTube, how has that changed your business? Has it changed your business? What are the effects of everything? Um, actually, the real business that these social media giants are acquiring sports content is not happening so far they are selecting some raisins and testing it but they have not built up a own big channel amazon is the exception that they acquired now in some bigger territories champions league rights or something but all the other ones are only testing something and looking if it's good for the advertising business or not and then normally they have dropped it not there were not a, a real breakthrough of these social or me, new media companies in our business so they are still the older companies like espn which did it or fox they invested in the ott streaming and they aren't, are aren't uh, isn't espn and stuff like that isn't that disney it's disney correct it's disney so the old traditional media companies were investing still in sports 
and the new media companies, Facebook, and are very reluctant. But you need these new media companies to do a side promotion for your content. And also what have changed through these um, new medias and social medias is that the consumer behavior has totally changed. 10 years ago, the people were watching 90 minutes of football match or full Formula One race. Nowadays, through this new media consumption, they are not used to it anymore. They want to have small, tiny bites of this and want to have the highlights. So not a lot of people are watching everything to the end. The, the awareness is, is, is getting smaller or shorter so that these new medias has changed the media consumer behavior and we have to adapt our product portfolio a little bit to this and we need them to do our promotion to lead these guys to our core product. Doesn't that devalue the media rights if people only want highlights and they can get them for free on like let's say YouTube or something? Yeah, therefore we are fighting against this for free. We want we have still our embargoes and you're totally right. This is a risk that if you would give everything for free, we would devalue our media rights. And therefore we are still selling the core product to ESPN, Disney or to the uh, normal pay TV channels or to OTT channels to, to, to avoid this scenario. We will see. This is The whole media business is in a transition period and, and also in a kind of consolidation period and we have to see what the results will be but the consumer behavior have changed the people are not watching anymore so long so we have to make smaller bites and smaller pieces and in the end if the smaller pieces are demanded then we have to sell them and not give them for free now that we're like on that subject, did you watch the Mike Tyson fight uh, over the weekend? No, I was not. I was too busy, but I I heard about it. Yeah, yeah. So, from your perspective, it must be very like interesting how they promoted that thing. Can you like shed a light on what you thought about how they promoted it, the innovation they did with the streaming and everything? Um, what did you think of it? I think they did it in a, in a smart way and they did it state of the art what is possible nowadays with the promotion and so on. But I think you, I personally have my opinion regarding this and I think that an, a 50 years old sportsman in such a very heavy sports, which is anyway not an easy sport, which is have always... Um, difficulties as well in the opinion because it's violence you know it's blood and so on and if then even a, a older guy who should normally retire already is starting against such a fight i have my doubts that this has a certain value of sports i think this has more a value of how you should say um, show business this is show business it's not so much sports in this case I mean, he did mention, I think, at the end uh, of the fight, Mike Tyson mentioned that for him it was all about raising money for charity, which is why he did all the rounds uh, till the end instead of like going for knockouts or something. But yeah. it's really interesting how you see it because from your perspective, boxing, which is completely different than the sports that you're doing, is like obviously more bloody and stuff like that, which is then, is that harder to stream and sell media rights for? Is that what you mean? 
it's it's more your the opinion but there are uh, countries where mixed martial art or something is forbidden in asia where it's because if there's blood in it or something you it, it cannot be shown so there are some laws in some countries where these things are forbidden anyway so and it's almost necessary for those specific sports to innovate um, and start instead of selling media rights start creating their own platforms to sell it Absolutely, yes. What they are doing normally, yes, yes. Absolutely. Do you think there's, because of that limitation, less money or more because it's direct to consumer? No, I think it, it's depending. I think like in all businesses, you have killer content. And if you have a, a World Cup fight from the heavyweighter, which are the non plus ultra, there you will have a big revenue stream from the B2C. And I think all is possible, but also some fights on the lower level which you will make no money at all out of the b2c so where you need the license fees from a normal broadcaster i think it's depending on the on the quality it's all a question of the quality so it's almost like what you learn at 25 where you know you got to get the visitors and then only when you have the visitors can you get the big um, i would say yes 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 so demand is is the king so this will how uh, does, uh, now that we're on this topic, how does your industry innovate? Obviously, you said embargoes, but that doesn't sound to me like it's actually innovating. You have the big giants like Disney, who really like restructured their entire company, focused on streaming, um, are kind of starting to lead. Um, obviously, it's not a perfect solution right now. Although like for children, Disney Plus is like the only thing I trust a child with. Uh, Netflix and YouTube kids definitely not there yet so how do you see your industry evolving if you already have like a Disney who completely changed everything and even sacrificed some of their revenue to do that change um, and on then on your side I'm hearing you guys are not yet innovating that way I, I think we from the league side invented a lot and I would say that especially the Bundesliga was is one of the most innovative leagues so for example the Bundesliga was the first league who invented the goal line technology and invented as well the video assistance surgery which is also a very technical innovation we did and we do a lot of other things in our product portfolio with an interactive feed where you can watch the conference of the matches beside where you have a special camera on your favorite player and so on. I think especially through the digitalization, there are many ways of, of things you can do innovation and we do and also ESPN or the other medias are doing because we all have the same problem. Before, I think 15, 10 years ago, um, the channels were in the driving seat because they decided what they acquired and what they want to show and the people have to follow. They showed the matches and if the people want to watch it, they have to subscribe and they have to sell it and then they can watch it at a certain time. Now this has totally changed. The consumer is now in the driver's seat because the people now decide what they want to watch and when they want to watch and how they want to watch. If it's to go or if it's at home at the screen if it's with a second screen, if it's with this camera angle or with these additional services, they decide. So this is a big difference. And we have now to look what our clients want to see, what the mainstream is, what they want, how they want to consume this. And therefore we have to listen to this and we must be much, much closer now to the clients, to the consumer and to see 
what they want to see, what they want to have. And then we have to react and to adapt our product to this. And this is what the whole industry must do, that they cannot decide anymore what they have to watch because the client anyway decide by himself now what they want to watch. So it actually pretty much brings us back to all the way in the beginning, what you said, what your dad told you. When you sell something, you want to do a deal that hopefully will have many deals coming. So then one of the things that you're mentioning now is the Bundesliga is innovating uh, technologies that the consumer can actually use and make your product more interesting so that the people who buy the media rights um, can offer that to their consumers. So it's like an extra a USB. nice thing. It's yeah, a like a USB. USB. Yeah. That's uh, so so it's almost like you have Disney who is innovating to create their own platform and keep everybody on their own platform. But then the Bundesliga who is innovating to work with everybody, uh, but make that the traditional things that they were using much more uh, interesting to use for the consumer. Uh, so it's like almost it stays with the same um, product, but much more cool. I don't know how else to explain it. Is, is that correct? If I, uh... I think it's not not the same product. For sure, in the in the end, it's a football match, and it stays a football match. Yes, and the development or the the envelope or the surrounding is perhaps different for sure, but in the end, it stays a football match. Yeah, and the football match is not changing. It was hundred years ago. It was a football match, and it's now still a football match. But for sure, the wrapping and the packaging is no different than it was 100 years ago and will and it will be developed. And therefore, we have to listen to the customer and to, and to look. Maybe a super interesting question, because you mentioned really cool technologies of like you can see your uh, player and everything. How does, uh, you know, when you look at those technologies from the consumer perspective, I can imagine that there are way more technologies that you can innovate in for the future, not right now, of course. And one of the technologies that kind of pops up for me is a VR. You're, you're looking at per player, right? But have you guys also, I don't know, maybe because you're not in the tech uh, part of that, but you are in the Bundesliga. Have you guys looked into VR, uh, maybe using like things like the Oculus to have like a really in-player experience for the consumer? Uh, I think we have, uh, if we present the match, there's augmented reality, for example. A lot of these things we do in the presentation of the matches with the um, lineup or all these things we are doing. We have ideas or we have already tested cameras in the corner flex, for example. We are testing cameras and sound system in the player jerseys. So all these things will come in the future and are possible. We have uh, rolling cameras and at the end we have robotic cameras which are following only one player and then um, these are all things we are already testing and developing there are a lot of t innovation we are testing and doing beside this yes did you hear anything about vr though because vr seems like the next thing that could be really cool we are i think there was a a big wave we had five years ago which coming from china because they built the vr glasses and so on and um so far there was no development further it was rather more that you could do the vr 
um, surrounding for the stadiums that you have the feeling you sit in a stadium surrounded by a crowd which you could do that you watch from Beijing and you look with the VR glasses and you are in the stadium of Munich for example oh, this could, cool. these things perhaps could come but the actual match as itself on the pitch I think this as we are I don't think could be touched so far I think the surrounding yes but the VR as a match that would change the match I would say then you we can speak already about esports then we are on the esports sides which the Bundesliga also has you know that you have a, a really esports game where you can participate the esports Bundesliga um, we have a segment on the show called the crash and burn segment so um, this is all about your biggest failures so my question to you is what are some of the biggest failures that you didn't expect and, and what did you learn from it if you look at your entire career um, obviously it doesn't have to be only Bundesliga um, it could be also when you were very young what are some of those biggest failures that you didn't expect yeah the, the one I mentioned already was a failure when I got the order from a company to do a from to do a full job as an advertising agency as a, a single entrepreneur do the texting for a beer product do the layout for the beer product and the placing and in the end I was after one two weeks I noted that I will be not able to do it by myself and I need help and I think to the failure was useful to learn where your limits are and also to admit to the client listen I cannot do it and also to know where your strengths are. I think this was was a big one of the biggest failures I told you. And then other failures or struggles perhaps yeah when I perhaps left MP Silver for the first time when I went back to Singapore that I was not persistent enough and patient enough to stay more in Singapore or to stay um longer there because then I could perhaps um, also um, be participate in the sales of the company in the end which I did not because I changed then the job to the Bundesliga and these guys which uh, stayed in the company and the company was sold to the Chinese made a lot of money which I did not because I sold my shares when I left the company for smaller money this was was a mistake but I do not regret because as I said I was very happy with both sides and with, with Andrea and they, they handled it very very good and nice and the Bundesliga also so I'm not angry but if you look back and you consider that if I would have stayed I would have not to work anymore perhaps you s consider this as a mistake yeah? well is it a mistake for you though because it sounds like you're still enjoying what you do no in the end it was not a mistake no, because as I said, I, I was thankful to be again in Singapore for the Bundesliga. I got twins there, which cannot be paid with all the money in the world. So I would say no. The time there we spent with the family and all the experiences, the deals I did with the clubs, the travels I did with Bayern and Dortmund and all the other clubs there. Um, these are memories. I was two times, for example, in North Korea with for the Bundesliga so I would say these memories nobody can take away nice uh, another segment that we have um, obviously impact talks um, so the segment is about your impact story 
Um, so what, the question that I then have is, what is a project that you worked on that had the biggest impact? So this could be whatever you interpret as impact is, uh, and it could be all over your career. Where did you feel you had the biggest impact? What is the project? Hmm. Yeah, I think two or three th things. I think I worked um, at the time when I worked for the Bundesliga Club 1860, I worked on the project of building up the Allianz Arena, the stadium. At this time, um, 1860 was a 50, 50 shareholder of the stadium and we had each week two or three meetings regarding construction, advertising with Bayern Munich. And in the end, for sure, I was not really helping to do the construction with my hand, but I, I started this process from, from the architectural work I was involved until the end, until the opening match. And still when I'm driving across the uh, autobahn there in Munich and driving along the stadium, I'm still feeling proud and say this says this is a construction that will stay even when I'm will, when I passed well when I will be passed away. This have an impact, definitely. How uh, how long did it take to build everything from the architect side until the end? And can you tell us more about like how did it all go down from the beginning to the end? I think it started in 2001 with the first plans and then we need to have a, um, I say it in English, that's not easy. It's a, you need to get the subvention from the public side for the stadium, which both clubs got. You need a vote from the population in the city. So we did advertising for this vote. We made a a campaign, a really campaign for this vote to get the positive vote from the population in Munich to get this subvention. And this vote I did together with Beckenbauer, Steuerbauer and so on, and with the president and so on, with hi highest people. And so we started and then we got the popular vote, which was positive. After this, the architect were starting, then the construction was starting and then it was millions of meetings together with Bayern Munich, how you can handle it regarding the advertising boards, regarding the VIP boxes, regarding the seats, regarding the lights. I, I even remember that we did a um, um, a ground hopping before we started the construction to watch the pitches of five stadiums because we were aware that you need the right wind, the right light, the right water and so on to have the right pitch that it's growing properly. So we visited in one day, I don't know what it was, Amsterdam, Edinburgh and another stadium with, with a chat to check exactly what is the right surrounding and to look it, into it. And in the end, the opening match was in 2005, so one year before, and then in 2006, the World Cup was taking place in the stadium. I think it was a very cool experience I did. Nice. How uh, I'm very interested in the architectural side because I like design. How was it initially proposed with the architect? Like, does the architect come to you and say, this is my vision, and then you guys just give the details? or we, was made, it a, we made a pitch. We made a pitch for sure. And uh, first of all, we tried to execute it in the old Olympic Stadium because there was already there and the two clubs played in the Olympic Stadium, which is a beautiful architectural heritage in my eyes. 
And this was also the problem that there were law protection that you cannot change the stadium. So it was forbidden by law to do it there. So we were forced to do, a, to do it on a new site. And so we made a, a pitch with architectures, with different architects and... Oh, you guys pitched to the architects? I no, thought no, no, architects no, no. would pitch no, to No, architects you. pitched to us. Architects pitched to us. So and in the end, Herzog and De Meron, um won this pitch. And H How many architects pitched? I think five. I think five. I think there were five which came in the end selection. And then they made their models and the clubs decided then together which are the one and also I would say the financials were also decisive in the end and so we decided together it was quite quite interesting yeah, I can imagine if you then drive by um, that you feel like it's part of you because obviously you were completely involved in the whole thing yeah yeah absolutely yeah. Um, maybe the last question very detailed again but you guys chose the architects or you just had a public advertisement of hey architects go and apply for this project i think for such a big project you must do an official statement and an official public publication to do it otherwise it's not um, uh, done by german law or something but for sure um at this time a lot of new stadiums were constructed so we knew which were good ones and all we liked so that we contacted them before and, and made them aware of this pitch. Nice. We're, uh, we're slowly starting to wrap up, but before we do have some last questions, uh, also some that came from the audience. First, um, one that I always ask guests is, um, what are you currently doing or learning that has nothing to do with your business um, that is interesting? So something that you're learning or doing that is uh, like a hobby or something like that. Homeschooling with my kids. Oh my God, that's horrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> how, how is that going? <laughs> it shows you and you get, again, very, very modest. That shows you that you forgot already millions of things you learned in your school and how far away are you already from the basics. And now you start again to do it and you get again... Hey, you start thinking again a little bit like a kid and, and, and you start thinking about how badly our schools are prepared, prepared on the digitalization and how badly as well our health system is prepared on this disaster what we currently have. This I'm learning currently. How do you feel, because I've uh, had to also like see what some uh, younger kids are studying right now, nieces, nephews, stuff like that. Um, I feel like it's such a waste almost what they're studying. They spend so many years in a school that teaches them half of the things that, again, you forget completely. So what do you think about that? Your kids are going through that. Don't you feel like you almost want to, I don't know, start your own school and get them uh, away from that system? How do you feel as a parent? I think that a lot of these things you learn in school are very helpful and I think it's more a, a training. 80% you will not need in your business life probably, but I think it's more training for discipline or something that you do. And I think the rest your parents have to teach you or you give some principles, very simple principles you must give your kids on the way, I would say that they should be 
modest, reasonable, not lying, and be transparent and confident. These things, I think, the schools are very tough. They they cannot teach this. I think these are the most important things in your working career that you need. And I think that's important that the parents accompany the kids and give this to the kids. Be curious, ask questions, be confident, and go your way. Do what you like and be passionate. These are things the school cannot learn. And for sure that they have to learn things like writing, counting. These things are simples which the school must do. I think the school is more a, a kind of, I don't know, machine to learn, to, to give you discipline in a certain way. What are which some... is not, this yeah. is not, I don't want to say that it's right, but I'm, I think I'm too old to question it. I, I rather focus on my kids to give them, to, to tell them what is important as well besides school and to learn them these things. Yeah, I like that. Um, a very popular question that keeps popping up uh, is the books that you read. Um, do you have any recommendations, books that really changed your perspective on life, career, anything that you can share and what you learned from it? Whew. Well, I'm reading a lot of books, but I'm, I'm, I'm reading a lot of belletristics. So I'm uh, normally um, cr crime stories or something. And also um, some interesting history um, books I'm reading. There's a, a good um, author in Germany, von Schirach, which is writing a lot of stories about um, justice, stories about law, um, law cases and so on about justice. This is really interesting to show you how, how the justice is not always given in a certain way. But I'm reading too many books. I, I cannot tell you which, which are, I don't, don't think that books are changing life. For sure, I would say one of the books you read first is the Bible. And the Bible then is giving you a guidance as well, even if you're not going to church. But you're, some of the things you learn as a small kid in the Bible is, uh, yeah, not to kill somebody and and, and to, to treat you the next as you want to be treated. Simple things, I think. That's that's perhaps one of the books we have. If I look back, I would say that this book probably has the deepest influence on each of us. Do you feel Do you feel like uh, you're religious? Like, how, how does uh, religion help you in your life? I think I believe in God, yes, and 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 I have my 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 belief, and I'm I'm praying, also. I'm not going to church, not too many times, but I'm praying quite often. Sometimes each day, after in the end of the day, I'm thinking of the day, and then I'm thinking and looking forward, and I try to. I think it could help you, give you a certain guidance, or give you a certain. Um, fixed point, something helps you to to come down. And to, to, yeah, I think that that's what religious means for me. And also the belief that this life is only is endless and that there must come something afterwards. So you so for me, it sounds like you use religion almost like a reflection, like at the end of the day, also almost like a meditation type thing where you reflect and, and think about. Yeah, kind of. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Um, do you think it's helped you in really stressful moments? Then is that what you keep doing it? I think it helps me to getting confidence back or something. 
I am also looking. I'm looking back, but I'm also looking forward and ask, pray for help or something. And this giving me confidence that it will work well as well. How? Uh, I mean, yeah. I uh, what I always uh, like uh, with religion. Well, mostly in Europe then, because uh, in America I've heard some weird, weird stories. But I can imagine that's all over the world. Although my exposure towards uh, when I'm in Europe, it, it's uh, less fanatic with religion. It sounds much more what you're saying yeah. um, and more reflective. And, and, you know, I know very, I used to live in a small town. They had a church and you could just see through the years, like uh, obviously people would show up less and less to the church. Uh, so you can see, obviously, as um, the, uh, humanity modernizes, they're doing less church stuff. It's definitely less fanatic because this is also one of my favorite maxims in my life to be tolerant and I never would force somebody to to follow something and to believe. That's definitely not the way it should be. And uh, you must accept it by yourself. You like it and then it's fine. But I would never convince somebody intentionally from, from the religion. Yeah, I like that. I think that's a that's a really good thing um i'd love uh, to ask you if you'd give yourself like some advice um a young you 25 year old uh as you were in your stories um what would you tell yourself looking back especially now with all the experience that you have as well as obviously the international traveling uh, i would say Give everything a try, be creative and, and, and try it. And don't be shy, be confident and to contact the people and to ask them. You cannot lose, you only can win. And if you fail, stand up again. It's going forward. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I mean, that was kind of the last question. I would like to roll out the red carpet for you. Let the people know where they might find you or anything you want to tell the people please uh, let let them know <laughs> so far I've not decided what my next job will be um, let's see what it will be I have two offers on the table and um, as soon as I will know I will let you know but so far I have not decided yet but I will stay in the media business or in the in this sports media business definitely that I will do and I'm now 53 I have to work 10 15 years more and I want to stay in this business I know a lot of these uh, people in this business as I told you it's a small family therefore I'm I will stay in this sports media business or sports business when you um, can reveal what you can do definitely come back to the podcast but I, uh, I really love how we closed I really love uh, the stories um, I didn't expect to learn so much about events which was a really nice thing uh, I expected some events, but you had a really good experience that I think a lot of our viewers will love. Um, but thank you so much for coming on and I uh, hope to see you on the next one. Thank you very much, Lova. Everybody stay healthy and soon everything will be fine. If you like this episode, you can check out our most recent one here. And if you haven't already, make sure you click here to subscribe and see the next one. But if you're interested in more tips and tricks, then make sure to join our Facebook group where you can find thousands of like-minded people and you get direct access and support to any business question from the entire startup funding event team.